welcome to the All Sooners podcast. You got us on a Wednesday today. It's January 10th. It's cold outside. This is episode 233. Uh, I think I messed up the number last week, but hey, I was flustered. I was under pressure, so uh, it happens from time to time. That's Ryan Chapman. He's in more. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Randall Sweet is back from his uh, return to San Antonio. He's been on the clock, you guys, since December 26th. So he's earned some time off. I gave him some time off. He got some time off. He'll be back on tomorrow, but we are podcasting today. So Randall, next week, buddy. Ryan and I, on the other hand, we've been coasting. Not doing anything. <laughs> I, I wish we had been coasting. Uh I, I'm a little worried. I, I don't think we've done or I've had to do three whole uh, segments in a lot. I don't know. How how does this all work? What what uh, what do we do in the third segment? What is happening? Randall's actually got some good re- stuff recruiting-wise from San Antonio, but uh, I thought it more important that he give you uh, a refreshed Randall next week rather than, hey, man, get back home and jump on the podcast. I try not to crack the whip on you guys too much. I gave you Christmas Day off. You know, we reconvened in San Antonio on the 26th. So I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big grinder. I'm not a big driver of, 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 uh, you know, like the cattle drives of the old days. Well, I put them up, you know, ride them hard and put them up wet and all that stuff. I like when you guys are fresh. So here we go. We, uh, we, we appreciate staying fresh. Although, uh, we'll talk about this to close the show. Porter Moser and his team doing the dang thing is not good for keeping me fresh when we go football into men's basketball into softball, but uh, those are first world problems. We are a month away from softball season opening day. A month! What? We'll get to all that basketball and softball later on in the show. Uh, But I want to refresh you guys on last week's podcast. Uh, We wrapped up the podcast. Literally, like, I've got lights right here. I've got lights back here. I've got lights over here. I've got light over here. I turned them all off. I picked up my phone because it makes it hot in here. Let's be honest. It gets hot and sweaty by the end of a podcast. I picked up my phone and it the message came in. Boom. Ted Roof, no longer defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And I'm like, Ryan, let's add a segment to the podcast. So that's literally how fast it happened. I was sitting right here in this chair in front of this computer We uh, we turned the lights back on and we podcasted about the departure of one Ted roof it was it was interesting um as we as we broke that down you know it was a very popular segment obviously it was like an emergency podcast whatever but that was uh that was last thursday when we just happened to podcast on a thursday if we had podcasted on a wednesday we would have missed it we'd probably had to do something emergency wise thursday i don't know but what we didn't see coming down the pike was that brent venable's if you look at his quote, and we talked about it last week, but if you look at his quote in the press release, he said, uh, I, I decided to move in a different direction. I asked Ted to to be reassigned to another position. He didn't want to. He wanted to keep coaching. Basically, he asked him to take a demotion, like an analyst job. Because why? Because Brent Venables had already made up his mind He's going to hire the next guy. And that next guy, we found out literally just a few hours later, it was like four hours later, it was Zach Alley. Zach Alley was Brent's guy before Brent went to Ted Roof and said, Ted, I'd like you to take a, a step down. I'd like you to take a demotion. Some, some <laughs> He figured it out planning. well before he went to, to Ted Roof. I, the timing of that was obviously planned by Venables. And, and frankly, it's pretty impressive work. Yeah, and now in a weird way, the coaching search lasted coaching search in bunny years lasted four hours, but we're still waiting on an official announcement. Uh, I'm not yeah. expecting that to be anything other than dotting I's, crossing T's, all that stuff. But we've been in that mode since last Thursday, so mm-hmm. uh, that part of it has been weird. Especially, I know that the board of regents can do an emergency meeting just to rubber stamp stuff whenever they need to, but the board of regents, I think they get together on Friday to which would be your typical um, where uh, everyone's retained, all that stuff, if that goes by. So you'd think it'd be a good spot to say, hey, any improvements to Seth Luttrell's contract, push that through. You got um, Joe John's contract, push that through, and you can put Allie on the same docket. But uh, still waiting because as of 1225 here on this Wednesday, no official word from Oklahoma, though it's Zach Allie. He's the guy. 
Yeah, they're they're doing some. I was told they're doing, and this was um, Monday. Yeah, this was Monday. They're doing some HR stuff, and you know, basically the the school and the the Brent Brent put like I said, Brent hurried it through. It was a it was a week after the uh, the bowl game, so he he fast tracked that thing, and there may be processes in place for hiring you know, vetting and verifying and background checking and all that stuff that take time. I don't know that Brent adhered to that process. I don't know that he didn't, but I'm just saying, I don't know that he did. He may have gotten ahead of the process a little bit. And that's why we're sitting here a week later, almost yeah, seven days later, literally. And it's like, they still haven't announced anything. I think they're going through the process of running him through HR and doing background checks and Checking his browser history and all that crazy stuff, right? Uh, but we'll see. That would be something, wouldn't it? I mean, just how crazy would that be if they come back and say, sorry, we can't hire this guy? Yeah. That would be a black eye. That would be an embarrassment for the program. That, I'm just saying. It, it's not going to happen. Yeah. If it did. It, it'd be stunning. And I think it's just that there's a football process that happens and the admin process. And uh, when you know it's your guy, the football process usually typically goes along a lot sooner. Because, like, why, why this wouldn't happen if you had gone through what would be a more – traditional search like say for brett venables like when, when we were going through the brett venables search uh, oklahoma can walk and chew gum at the same time as jokes at leon says hey i want to interview brett venables hey i want to interview guy b hey i want to interview guy c the admin can do all the background check stuff in the process while jokes at leon's talk with brett venables all that stuff i think it's just one of those things that brent almost arrived at it before like the, the football part of it moves faster than the admin part of it one, one of it bureaucracy red tape all that fun stuff yeah. Yeah, the HR hasn't uh, hasn't done their due diligence yet. Oh, who knows? Um, they probably have. You know what? The other side of the coin might be. Brent's agitated that everybody reported this when it when it broke last week. Um, we've got our own sources now telling us. Obviously, uh, it's been verified ad nauseum throughout the country. Uh, all the national guys, all the media sources, everybody has reported that this is happening. There's been interviews about from his colleagues about, yeah, he's going to do great at Oklahoma. So it's done, but Brent may be like, I'll show those guys. Let's, let's wait a week and just get under their skin a little bit. But I don't know. Just saying, what, what just are we sitting here a week later for? It's just odd, but uh, it's weird. It's definitely weird. Since no panic or anything for what's going on, <clears throat> seems like it's just one of those things that, uh, Sometimes it takes a little time with uh, some of the stuff. And so we'll roll through that. I imagine, too, like what does the uh, coordinator framework look like? What, how do they want to yeah. officially split the duties, all the language, all that stuff? Uh, I, I would imagine from even like the – and this is just pure speculation, but from like the agent perspective, I think that Zach Alley was like, hell yeah, I'll go join Brent Venables in Oklahoma and, and link yeah. up with his, uh, you know, the, the protege, uh, you know, mentor relationship. Probably before anything was on like anyone's radar, so like the framework for like a contract, and it's like no one has any leverage anymore. It's like, a, well, I want to be here, and you want me here, and let's figure out. I, I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's HR. Who knows? It it, it just it reminds me of when I hired you. Yeah, I was just like, yes. Wait, sorry. Wait, am I supposed to hold out? No, whatever. <laughs> Negotiate. What's that? So Zach Alley uh, is a self-described Venables clone. Uh, he said he talks like him. He said he coaches like him. Um, he describes himself that way. So he was uh, for two years, the last two years, uh, including this season, defensive coordinator at Jacksonville State. Before that, he was a year at Louisiana Monroe. Guy's 30 years old. He just turned 30. He's a former Clemson student assistant and grad assistant. He was a high school football player. He didn't play college football. Went to Clemson's to, to study under Dabo Swinney. And then the following year, they bring in Brent Venables. So uh, he's an interesting guy. Um, he's very young. He's very green. When they hired him at uh, Louisiana Monroe at the age of 20, I guess he was not quite 28 yet. Um, he was the youngest coordinator, defensive coordinator in the country. Huh? So very interesting. Now he's fast tracked to Oklahoma. I don't know if he's still the youngest defensive coordinator at 30 years old, um, but he's, he's way up there. <clears throat> Um, anyway, Ryan and I are both keeping our eyes on the phone, on the Twitter notifications and the email inbox, because stuff always seems to break when we're on the podcast. So if that happens, we'll take a quick break and we'll do the story for you at all Sooners, have all the stuff popped up there. 
Ryan, let's just uh, let's just continue the vibe on uh, Zach Alley. Your thoughts on Brent Venables making the move first to tire fire Ted Roof, who who still had one year left on his contract, and then his move to bring in a thirty year old defensive coordinator. Yeah, I think it's really interesting from the psychology of like what Brent Venables is doing as far as Brent Venables the head coach because go all the way back to Big Twelve media days and Brent Venables was talking about you know for this team to be the best it needs to be I still need to be heavily involved in the defense right which led to a whole month or so of us speculating, like, is Brent Venables just going to be the defensive coordinator, just just call it himself, all that stuff. Um, and then you lead to, we, we talked about it when we did the emergency pod, which was the way that Brent Venables stated he wanted to go a different direction with the defensive coordinator, which led me to believe that he wanted someone that was actually going to, like, be a DC. And so Zach Galley makes a ton of sense in, in, in this realm. It's that, hey, he spent almost a decade once Brent Venables arrived at Clemson, working under Brent Venables directly to learn his system, learn how Brent Venables wants to do things, all that. And when you think about it, Ted Roof had one season of overlap as an analyst at Clemson before he came over and was promoted. So while Ted Roof had a one-year background, like Zach Alley, all he knows is this is how Brent Venables teaches things. This is his system. This is what Brent Venables believes defensively. This is how I need to teach things. And so it, it makes a ton of sense for Brent if he's going to come on in and say, okay, defense is my baby, and I need to be more of a head coach, more of a CEO. I'm still going to be involved with the game planning, all that stuff, to go to someone that he has worked with for years and years and years, who then immediately went out and made quite an impression with Brian Harson as a co-special teams coordinator and linebackers coach at Boise State for a couple of years. ULM, that defense makes huge improvements. And then what he did at Jacksonville State, I think is just incredibly impressive considering he came in at the same time that Jacksonville State's elevating up to the FBS level. So anything he's doing is basically with like a framework of FCS players than anything he can gra- grab in the transfer portal recruiting-wise. And so you look at what they did um, as far as making big leaps forward, where they were. If you're a if you're a stop rate person, if you like the advanced analytics, they were seventh or eighth in stop rate uh, per Max Olson. Uh, you look at scoring defense; they were uh, top fifty and all that stuff in their first season in the FBS. Now he's going to take that step up. It, it, it just feels like this is Britt Vittles going and saying, "Who do I trust to run my defense?" Mini me. I, I'm going to go find my mini me, and and for Brent Venables, that is Zach Alley. We've seen this a lot, right? For so long, Alabama, Nick Saban. Who did he trust? Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart ran everything. Then when Kirby got to Georgia, he trusted Mel Tucker. Then he trusted Dan Lanning, and and I think that you've seen that. That's something where if you want to talk about game management, running the sideline, penalties, all that stuff, by by being able to take the step back, and and Brent Venables can insert himself where he's really needed. It should improve all those things because we talked about it last year. Uh, Brent Venables suddenly doesn't know, hey, you're supposed to use a timeout here, not use a timeout here. Like He's been around football for so long under such great coaches. I know he knows how to manage the game. I think uh-huh. he brought, may have just been doing too much himself on the sideline. Yeah, someone's always managed the game for him. Yeah, He's never had to manage the game. Now that he's the head coach, he's got to manage the game. That means he's got to do little things that he's never had to think of before that were his duty. Uh, you know, sure, coach, everybody knows you call timeout in that situation. Everybody knows you run to the sideline, you throw it away, you get down, you slide, you stay in bounds. He knows what to do. He's never had to delegate that before. He's uh, he's never had to be the guy who makes that call. Uh, fourth and uh, third and six, what do we do here? Because not really sure my field goal kicker is accurate. I don't want to punt it down there and have it go in the end zone. Maybe we should go for it, you know, have two calls ready on third down. He's never had to do that before. Now he's got to do that. He's got to think like that. So standing over there with the defensive team, uh, screaming at somebody for not blitzing in the B-gap when he told them to blitz in the B-gap, that's not what a head coach does. Uh, just ask – it's right down the hallway. Right? Just ask Bob Stoops, um, you know, about the defensive coaches uh, – about the head coach's responsibilities with the defense. Uh, at one point, I remember somebody telling a story recently. Stoops was getting ready to lay into somebody, and this was – early 2000, 2001, something like that. And Mike Stoops was yelling at somebody and Brent Venables was yelling at somebody, one of the players and Bob was coming down there and he stopped and he saw them both giving it to the guy. And he said, we're good. I can, he puts his headset on and goes and coaches the offense. That's how it's done. That's how you got to do it. So 
good for good for Brant for recognizing that if that's what he does, if that's the way he goes. We don't know yet, but we anticipate that's what's going to happen. Here's the deal with um, with uh, Zach Alley. Here's the deal. Bad coaches. Sorry, I said it wrong. I tried to say it right the first time. Good coaches don't usually come from bad programs, right? Good coaches usually come from good programs. Good coaches usually learn from other good coaches. He's coached for Dabo. He's coached for Rich Rodriguez. He's coached for Terry Bowden. And he's coached for Brian Harson. That's 185, 181, 170, and, and, and 85 total victories. I used the calculator for this to be sure. 621 career wins in that foursome right there. 621. That's a lot of success. You can't help but learn. 25 conference championships, two national championships, two undefeated seasons. Ryan, this guy has known nothing but success. Yeah, it's it's in his pedigree, and it's kind of like Brent Venables, right? Comes to play under Bill Snyder. Then when he makes his first branch off, it's under Bob Stoops. And while that was kind of an unknown as a head coach, everyone knows how that turned out. And then he was one of the key cogs Brent Venables was in all of Dabo's success. And so he's hoping, I think, that he can replicate that a little bit with Zach Galley. And and uh, it's one of those things where, hey, after two years, I think that he has – he talked about it again. He, he didn't know what he didn't know coming into year two. And now I think he's got two years of experience, one where he – Felt like in year one, tried to be the CEO for some things, but was trying to, he was figuring out what is his capacity? What, how much can he handle on a week to week basis and have the team firing on, on all cylinders, all that stuff. It got a lot better, obviously in year two. And and so now um, I have to believe that this is something that Brent Venables looked at and was going, Hey, I'm going to have a first year starting quarterback on the other side, stuff like that. I, I need to be present for whatever everything needs. And, and again, I think it just goes back to a trust thing of Ali's got a pedigree and it hasn't been watered down too defensively. He's run Brent Venable's system for the two years, one, one at ULM, one at Jacksonville State. And he wasn't with Brian Harson long enough for, if you want to say, pick up less than Brent Venable's habits or stuff like that. He, he wasn't there long enough to do that, right? Like, why did Brian Harson hire him as a linebackers coach? I would imagine it's because he wanted Brent Venable's light to coach the linebackers. One of those things. And he probably wasn't meddling. Yeah. So Jacksonville State, uh, second year, um, I guess, under Rich Rod. I can't remember how many years he's been there. Has he been there three years? Anyway, uh, Allie was there two years. They went nine and four this season. So they he jumps in at Louisiana Monroe. The defense goes from like 110 to like 50-something, 40-something. I can't remember what, but it was a huge jump. Same thing with, um, with Jacksonville State. First year. They were the, the year before he got there, it was really bad. Then the next year it was like really decent, really good. They've improved ever since. Um, I think Ryan mentioned it, 21.2 points per game. That's 32nd in the country. 111 rushing yards per game. That's 14th in the country. It's pretty good. 241 passing yards per game. Not good. That's 95th in the country. But their defense was a little like Oklahoma's this year. Couldn't stop the pass unless they were intercepting the football. They had 16 interceptions, which was ninth in the nation. Had 25 takeaways, which was eighth in the nation. They had twelve. Uh, they were 12th in the country in quarterback sacks, 2.9 per game, 12th in the nation. 17th in the nation in tackles for loss, 7.1 per game. So you see a corollary there. It's a very, very simple comparison. Give up big passing yards. But get interceptions, get tackles for loss, get off the field on third down. 22nd in the nation on third down defense, 32%. Uh, 33rd in the nation in pass efficiency defense, 123 rating. Their overall defensive ranking this this year, Jacksonville State, was 42nd. So not elite by any stretch, but 130 teams, not bad. 353 yards a game. Now here's some analytics for you guys. You like analytics. Points per play. Jacksonville State was 22nd in the nation in points per play, all right, 0.29 or something like that. Yards per play, 4.7 yards per play by the defense. That's 13th in the country. And then the big one for a lot of lot of coordinators and a lot of analytics guys these days is points per drive. How many points? This is akin to stop rate. 1.59 points per drive. That's 17th in the nation. 
OU was 29th this year. So pretty impressive stuff. They lost to Coastal Carolina. They lost to Liberty. Coastal had one of their best years ever. Liberty had their best year ever. South Carolina in the SEC. And then New Mexico State had their best year ever, pretty much. They lost to three schools that had their best year ever, pretty much, and uh, South Carolina. And in those four losses, they only allowed 3.2 yards per rush. So they still played their ass off on defense, even though they lost all four of those games. Pretty, uh, like I said before, pretty impressive stuff by Zach Alley. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting, too, because he's going to have a veteran core already that he'll inherit defensively uh, as far as just – Every single, like the basically every single person who had to make a decision on the defense, it sounds like it's coming back. I mean, that's it, the easiest yep. way to uh, to summarize that. And so he'll have a veteran core to work with. He'll have a bunch of talent. He'll have some young talent coming in. Uh, no reason why he shouldn't be able to. It, again, it, it's Brett Venable's handpicked guy to come in and run the defense. I'm just fascinated to get that officially announced, get to talk to him, and get to be feel out. You're calling all the plays, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, we'll see. He's going to say that that's well, – we'll see. We'll see how it works. We'll see what B, Coach V's plan is. He calls him Coach V. Um, Coach V told us two years ago he – was it – I guess – God, I'm having trouble remembering when he said this. I run. I was running the defensive meetings. It was National Signing Day last year, so he was talking about rec- a recruiting date during the 22, yeah, the 22 season uh, when he was running the defensive meetings. Um, head coach doesn't need to be running the defensive meetings. Roof told us that he makes the calls on game day, but Brent Venables interjects whenever he wants to do something, say something, change something, alter something, whatever. This job, man, it's OU football. It's too big for the head coach to be the defensive coordinator. Lincoln Riley was an elite, right, offensive coordinator. When he became the head coach, he learned really quick, wow, this is a lot. Uh, but he hired a defensive head coach and Alex Grinch and let turn the defense over to him completely so he could keep his fingers on the offense. I think everybody was okay with that. Don't you get the feeling that everybody's like, yeah, Lincoln Riley could be the offensive coordinator and the head coach. I think a lot of people wanted him to hire an offensive coordinator, but I think for the most part, fan base was pretty okay with him being the OC and the head coach because there was a defensive coordinator already in place. I don't get the feeling that they're okay with Brent Venables being the head coach and the defensive coordinator, right? It's, it's for some reason there's like a double standard. It feels different. Well, it, it's always though, like you look at it and defensive coordinators usually like on the whiteboard making adjustments and Brent Venables, there were times that he was on the whiteboard during timeouts in year one. I don't remember seeing it in year two. Lincoln was never that he, he never was, was that no. as a head coach, he would make his adjustments as he was talking with uh, the quarterback, whether it be Baker coming off the field or Kyler coming off the field. And then he would hand all that stuff off and you would see Bill Biedenboe, uh, DeMarco Murray, Kale Gundy, whoever is around. I guess you wouldn't see Kale. He was up in the box, but th- those guys were on the sideline doing everything. And if he was making adjustments, he was just doing it totally in his head, talking on the headset. And he was still watching and engaged with what was happening. There are times where Brent Venables early in drives offensively is turned around talking to guy. You know what I mean? So uh, I think yeah. it's just a little bit different, and it, it's something that uh, every head coach kind of goes through. And it's just weird because in college football, there are a ton of offensive head coaches that still call plays. But, like, I don't see Dan Lanning calling plays at Oregon, yeah. stuff like that. For whatever reason, it, it's just uh, not how things roll for the defensive head coaches. You know something else, too. If Brent Venables in his first couple of seasons had uh, a couple of Nagurski winners, right, and had the number one ranked defense or the number two ranked defense in the country, I don't think anybody would be complaining about anything, right? Yeah. But they didn't have those award winners. They didn't have the number one defense or a top 20 defense or a top 50 defense. So you look at the head coach and go, what are you doing over here? You're the, you're the defensive coordinator. That's not working. You're the head coach too. Get over here and be the head coach. That's what people want. That's what the fan base wants. I know I'm boiling this down too much and oversimplifying, and, and it's going to be a very complex and involved process to get these guys uh, where Brent wants them and doing what he wants them to do. But I'll tell you this. The SEC is not going to care if Brent Venables is too busy to be the head coach or if the defensive coordinator is in over his head. The, the SEC is a pack of ravening wolves, and they're going to take down – Whoever's in their way, whether they're full strength or know what they're doing or don't, the SEC is real. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. It's a huge move. It's it's a huge decision by Brent Venables, but uh, Oklahoma's got to take another huge step forward defensively this year. We just saw in the national championship game, 
Jackson Arnold, if he takes care of the ball, he doesn't have to be elite for you to get to where you want to be in college football. I don't think anyone confused Stetson Bennett for being elite in anything like that, and he did two of those national championships. Got to have a defense, though, and Oklahoma's got to find a way to take another step forward, build off the success they had this year, fix the pass defense, get more active in the pass rush. All that stuff is stuff that has to happen, and I think Brent Venables knows that. So I, I think you're seeing him move to a guy that he's like, he knows my system in and out. He can teach my system in and out more than just two years on the job. One of those things. I mean, if you take Ali's two years that he's been calling defense himself, plus all the time he spent at Clemson, he still, still spent way more time than Ted Roof did learning Brent Middle's system. It, it's just a, a comfort thing, I have to believe. Yeah, that's. I think that's well said. Tell you what, uh, transfer portal comings and goings, who's here, who's where, uh, all that's coming up next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. If you're on Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. You can follow Ross at Ross Lovelace and Randall is at Randall Sweet 5 that's where you're going to get your recruiting news. Uh, website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And, of course, All Sooners is all free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. All free at All Sooners. All right, Ryan, segment two, uh, we're going to hit the transfer portal. We're not leaving. We're not going anywhere, but we're going to hit the transfer portal. Uh, there's been some names that have joined since the last show. And I think all three of them are guys that can absolutely immediately make an impact for this Oklahoma football team. You've got defensive end out of Miami, Ohio, Caden Woolard. Uh, you've got an offensive lineman out of USC slash Florida, played three years at Florida and uh, one year at USC. Uh, actually, three years at Florida, one year at USC. And then uh, tight end Jake Roberts played three years at North Texas and one year at Baylor. Um, former Seth Latrell guy. So out of those three guys, who maybe impresses you the most? The Sooners, by the way, newcomers on the inbox in the, in the transfer portal are up to 11. And I expect a couple more. But who impresses you the most out of those three? Well, the first order of business is like the weirdness with the Michael Tarquin situation, the offensive lineman yeah. from Florida, yeah. USC. He com It's reported that he commits. He then makes that statement on X slash Twitter and then he deletes that statement, and it feels like if Oklahoma lands both uh, Lance Hurd, the the former five-star, five-star plus, blue chip, whatever you want to call him, offensive tackle out of LSU, and then if they also land the veteran Terrence Ferguson, interior offensive lineman from Alabama, might be a weird situation of odd man out in the portal recruiting. So that one I don't really know what to do with in that situation. Arquin committed first. Well, he also got benched at USC last year on an absolutely awful offensive line. I don't think that's the answer for Oklahoma, unless you're looking for depth. And if you're looking for depth, why not get guys that haven't been benched would be my. I agree. He struggled last year at USC. But two things. Did you see who OU ran out there in the bowl game? And do you see who they got coming back? Tarquin would start right away. Sure. But if you're going to get Terrence <laughs> Ferguson and Hurd, you would take both of those over Tarquin. So it doesn't matter if he's yeah. first or last. Brent Venable said <laughs> it's his job to put the best roster on the field. It's their job to figure it out. Landing Lance Hurd and Terrence Ferguson over Tarquin would be putting the best roster. On the field. So I, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, OU's not in a position to say no to offensive linemen. So uh, I, I'm – Mainly, I'm just like in wait and see mode of I think we, it's almost too early, weirdly, after a guy committed and then deleted the commitment tweet. Because like I think we need to see the dust settle on, on who ends up taking those spots along the offensive line. Uh, you look at uh, Jake Roberts, though. For me, 
Uh, Woolard is is like a, a a no lose situation. If he comes in, he can replicate the production at Miami of Ohio. Boom, awesome. If not, he's a great just depth piece to have on your defensive line. Oklahoma needed a guy like Jake Roberts to come in. We talked about it a bunch. Um, Devon Mitchell looks like absolutely that dude, no question about it. But he's a guy that is gonna have. He should be a senior in high school. He reclassified. And for him to be the only option at tight end, that is just scary to me for a, a guy as ready as he looks to, to handle that. You are talking about the wear and tear of the SEC. So you bring in a Jake Roberts, a guy that had better production this past year at Baylor marginally than Austin Stogner had at South Carolina his year there. So for me, I'm looking at, okay, that is at the worst. You're not going to get worse at tight end with Jake Roberts coming in. And that's like worst case scenario. Uh, and he's adding depth. He's giving you more than one option, which Oklahoma simply did not have. And then, like, if a Caden Helms is healthy, you've got three guys that they probably feel pretty good about in Devon Mitchell, obviously, Jake Roberts, and, and then whatever Caden Helms can kind of bring with you. I love picking up Jake Roberts, number one. He's from Norman North. He knows what's going on. Uh, number two, he's from North Texas, right? He played for Seth Luttrell. He knows what's going on. Number three, he played last year at Baylor, so he knows – Kind of the Big 12, right? He knows what OU football's about. Being at Baylor, they didn't play this year necessarily, but I'm just saying. So he knows what's going on. Um, 20, what was it? 23 catches this year, 231 yards and a touchdown. Uh, previously, 28 catches for 394 yards and three touchdowns in four seasons at uh, North Texas and Baylor. 66 catches, 772 yards, four touchdowns. You got no Stogner. Jason Llewellyn left. Caden Helms hasn't been healthy yet. Blake Smith hit the transfer portal. And as you said, uh, Mitchell is basically a high school senior right now. So you need this tight end. But the maybe the best thing about Jake Roberts, little brother Nate Roberts, four-star tight end in the 2025 class. Um, he's a future star. He just is. He's fantastic. Uh, so getting Jake there this year might help get Nate there next year. Maybe. We'll see. I really like um, Willard, too. Caden Willard, the defensive end out of Miami, Ohio. Edge rusher, 6'5", 250. He played three seasons for the Red Hawks. He got nine and a half sacks last year. I should say this year. Is it last year now that the national championship game's over? It's, sure. it's last year. In 2023, he finished with nine and a half sacks. One of those things. Nine and a half sacks. My favorite thing about him, he's from Massillon, Ohio. Washington High School, same high school as uh, noted football legend Chris Spielman. Yeah, that Chris Spielman. Played forever for the Detroit Lions, three-time All-Pro, two-time All-American at Ohio State. Chris Spielman got famous, though, in high school. He was the first high school athlete on the Wheaties box at Massillon. I remember eating Wheaties my senior, my junior year of high school, and there was this dude in a white jersey and a, like a spike mullet, and he had a Massillon across his front, and I was like, I want to be like that guy. Some <laughs> high school player on the Wheaties box. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, I might have been a sophomore, but but either way, that inspired me. I'm like, I, what? Teach me more about Massillon. What is so great about Massillon that you can put a kid on the high on the high school kid on the Wheaties box? So here, Caden Willard. I don't know if they know each other, if their families are friends or what. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Anyway, in his career, Willard has reached. Uh, I guess he's got something like 75 tackles, 17 and a half tackles for loss, 14 sacks, five passes broken up. He knocks the ball out. He's got three force fumbles. He's blocked four kicks. This kid is a ball player. Now, here's the deal. They've got Ethan Downs back. They've got R. Mason Thomas back. They've got Trace Ford back this week. they got P.J. Adebari. They've got Taylor Wine. Uh, and then they bring in those studs that they're bringing in on the, on the freshman class, David Stone, Jaden Jackson, Wyatt Gilmore, Nigel Smith. Those guys are all really good, and you bring in a dude who does nothing but make plays at Miami, Ohio. I like Oklahoma's defensive end room in this year. Yeah, and, and I think it kind of fits with uh, a couple of stuff we talked about last week. We were doing the report cards before uh, all the defensive coordinator stuff hit, but like you look at corner, right, and it felt like uh, Oklahoma between Des Malone and getting uh, Jocelyn Alaska coming in, it's one of those of like, we are going to have bodies. We're over our dead body. Are we going to be in a situation where we feel like we don't have depth? This year, we heard – how many times do we hear it? R. Mason Thomas won a starting defensive end spot in fall camp, but then he had the ankle injury, which then led to another ankle injury. And then suddenly we're sitting here going, 
that that's probably Oklahoma's most gifted pass rusher that just wasn't a factor for the first half of the year, really, because he couldn't get on the field. And then it, it felt like it took him any kind of ramping up process. And so now it's like, okay, all those names you mentioned, it, it's just it takes one more injury, one more freak, whatever, to not have a pass rusher and go into the SEC. Oklahoma's got to stockpile all the help they can get all over the place. Tarquin is interesting to me also because he's he's big. He's 6'5", 300, uh, four years at Florida, uh, and then one year at Southern Cal. Uh, ten starts at left guard, ten starts at left tackle. He's also started at right tackle. He started eight games at US, for USC last year uh, at right tackle. So um, he's a guy that's got some versatility to him. He's a stopgap guy. He's an emergency guy, uh, no doubt about it. Um, I think in 2022 – he played like 350 snaps, posted a nice pro football focus grade. That was at Florida in 2021, 350 snaps again. A nice, nice grade. Nothing bad, you know, nothing worse than what we saw at Oklahoma this year, uh, just in terms of grading. Uh, and then in the first two years at Florida, he was uh, he was a backup. But what I, what I like about Tarquin, he's married. He's been married for a year. His father-in-law is Tony Baselli, one of the most – not his dad, okay, not his father, but his father-in-law. Tony Baselli is one of the most decorated, most talented offensive tackles the, the NFL game has ever seen. So he's Pro Football Hall of Famer. He's a USC Hall of Famer. Uh, I don't know how much he works with Tony Baselli, but that might not hurt. That might not be a bad thing if you get some points pointers from your father-in-law. Yeah, for sure. And uh, as we said, when you are leaking bodies, you need bodies. It'll just be a matter of uh, who actually ends up on campus. We're probably, what, a week away from figuring all that out because, like, these kids got to start making decisions, not because the the portal window's closed, all the paperwork's filed, but you got to get enrolled and get into class if you want to be uh, in spring football. Yeah, January 16th is when classes start at OU, so you better get uh, you better get on a roll because it's January 10th right now. Um, you expect another couple of guys, two, three guys maybe, uh, to come out of the portal and, si- and sign with the Sooners? Yeah, looking at, uh, I, I mean, the names we talked about, Hurd and uh, Ferguson. Hurd uh, from LSU, Ferguson from Alabama. Then uh, You did not just say Hurd Ferguson. You did not just say Hurd Ferguson on this podcast. Hurd Ferguson, well, I, I, I'm just trying to avoid Terrence Ferguson and all that stuff because I don't think that the Oklahoma – fan thunder fan Venn diagram is going to be like why is terrence ferguson coming to play offensive line that dude couldn't hit threes yep. anyway what, what's the <laughs> how's he supposed to get a three-point stance and if he can't hit three what, whatever dumb stuff there but uh yeah looking at those two and then uh i don't know if there's a transfer quarterback that wants to be a backup as a preferred walk-on maybe with oklahoma ties uh that's still floating around maybe maybe that comes to fruition we'll see we'll see maybe don't forget there's the spring session too right they haven't closed that down yet so after spring football, after spring has ended, I think it's in May, uh, there may there will be probably a very, uh, not a huge wave, but, you know, maybe another three or four. I expect another couple, maybe three um, this month, this week, and then maybe three or four after spring, just to kind of plug holes here and there, find bodies where you need it. Um, we've talked about it in the past. Spencer Brown, Des Malone, Dion Burks, uh, Sam Franklin, Bauer Sharp, Fabechi, Nwewu, Jocelyn Malaska, and the four guys, well, the three guys we talked about today, plus the kicker, Tyler Keltner. Um, do you see – I go back to last year's transfer portal. There were a lot of dudes in that, in that class, in that transfer class, who contributed immediately and contributed in a great way, and there were like two that didn't. That's a pretty good haul, don't you think? If you bring in – whatever the number was last year, 15, 17, and, and only two don't really play very much. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Look at this group. I mean, the, the two that absolutely just scream out, first off, Spencer Brown, like I think that's your starting right tackle still. So huge, 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 huge. And he was the first one that Oklahoma got in the boat, first order of business coming in from Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not be shocked to see Deion Burks come in and lead Oklahoma in receiving next year. Uh, Andrew hmm. Anthony coming in. Back in off the injury. Uh, if you remember back when that injury happened, Brentman was talked about the swelling wasn't as bad as some other ones. So you, hopefully, fingers crossed, that's usually an indication that maybe it's not as severe uh, an ACL injury or whatever. But we have not got a single update about uh, Andrew since then, right? And so whatever he is coming back in, 
Um, Jalil Farouk for me is not a number one guy. And if you're relying on him to be the number one guy, you're not going to have an explosive passing attack. And he, he's got to figure out ball security issues, uh, all that stuff. You want him a part of your wide receiving core. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just not wanting to build an offense around Jalil Farouk. And that's where I think that Deion Burks can come in and, and you're telling me, okay, you've got some threats on the outside with Nick Anderson, Andrew Anthony, Jaden Gibson, you got kind of a Swiss Army knife in Jalil Farouk who can do anything you need him to do, except for maybe hold on to the football, apparently. Um, Deion Burks, I think, is, is really primed to just be Oklahoma's big-time playmaker in the slot and be kind of a bit of a go-to guy for the Sooners. If he can fix – Burks himself has some drop rate issues, but uh, get on the jugs, get with him at Jones, see if he can fix that. Uh, I, I think he's got a chance to come in and, and maybe be Oklahoma's leading receiver yards-wise uh, next year. I'm going to go with Spencer Brown as a, as an impact starter right away. I'm going to go with Tyler Keltner, the kicker, as possibly if he if he's able to win the job. All you got to do is kick it, park it, parallel park that thing right through the uprights. Right? It's not that hard, right? Stay away from burritos as well. It's a two part process. process. Parallel That's park right. it, avoid burritos. Avoid burritos, and I'm going to go with Jake Roberts as a as an impact starter. Um, I see potential in him. They're going to use a lot of wide receivers as they did this year. But I think uh, Seth Luttrell's offense is going to be just different enough to give the tight end more of a chance. You're going to see the co-offensive coordinator, Joe John Finley, saying, hey, i got some tight ends over here that need to catch some passes. So uh, I do see Jake Roberts being more of an impact. Uh, I don't know about Bowersharp. I really haven't studied his uh, his <sighs> – you know, college tape yet. So um, there's not a lot. The rest it's, of those it's guys, hard to find, frankly. I mean, it's yes. Thank you very much. It's it's hard to find. Rest of those guys are are coming from group of five schools that are going to have a. Frankly, they're going to have a hard time. Um, I'm not saying they can't. I'm saying they're going to have a hard time being impact players. They're going to find themselves in the two deep. A lot of those guys. Some of them will be starters. We'll see. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do coming up next. Signing day is nice. The transfer portal is nice, but the real, to me, the real personnel victories for this team are all about who's coming back. And so far, like Ryan mentioned earlier, it's been all good on that front for the defense. We'll tell you about that next. Plus we're talking basketball. Uh, They're still rolling right along. Big 12 plays underway. They don't care. They're still winning. Softball, you guys, I mentioned it at the top. Opening day is a month away. What? (laughs) Me, I can't wait. So uh, we'll discuss all that next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And if you like the All Sooners podcast, drop us a nice rating. We love those five-star ratings. They're so helpful. They get the podcast spread out there. The, the, the podcast companies see that five-star rating and they spread it out and they push it out and they get it out to everybody and everybody else gets to listen. So the, your favorite podcast gets uh, gets blasted out even more and gets shared even more. And speaking of shared, share us on social media. If you're watching us on uh, YouTube or whatever, share us on social media. If you're listening on your podcast platform, share us on social media. Again, super helpful to get the word out. And, of course, if you are watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, give us a comment there as well. Um, and, hey, if you want to advertise with us, just drop me an email at allsoonerssi at gmail.com or just DM me on Twitter at John E. Hoover. My DMs are open. New series started today at allsooners.com, Position Report Cards. It's our favorite time of the year where we're reliving last year. <laughs> we do it every year. Um, today we gave you our grades on the offensive line. That was fun. Uh, kind of a preview as well of the uh, what's coming up in the spring, uh, although the transfer portal is going to change that. So 
Tomorrow, Ryan's got the defensive line. Friday, Ross has got the wide receivers and so on and so forth. Every day, a new installment of the new series position report card. So check that out, allsooners.com. Okay, segment three, Ryan. We're uh, we're in the portal. We're talking portal, but we're talking about guys who stayed. Talking about guys specifically on defense who didn't leave, didn't declare for the draft, didn't opt out, didn't transfer portal themselves somewhere else. The latest one, apparently, reportedly, is uh, Trace Ford. He has not, like, formally announced I'm coming back. He does brush his teeth with his left hand, he said, and feels enlightened, he said. Thank you for looking that up for me. Uh, But, yeah, no, Trace Ford hasn't made it official, but apparently his mom is telling reporters that he's coming back for 2024. Good for Trace Ford, good for the Oklahoma defense. Oklahoma now has a whole defensive line that came back, right? Ethan Downs, Trace Ford, DeJon Terry, Jacob Lacey got that. Uh, crucially, too, I know that everyone's focus, laser focus, and rightly so on Danny Stutzman coming back, but it also was paired with the fact that no transfer portal entries before fall, uh, spring excuse me, for Kip Lewis or Kobe McKenzie or uh, Jaron Kanick or, frankly, even Samuel Masico, Phil Pichotti, and uh, Lewis Carter. So one of those situations – Hey, maybe Brent Venables is fun to play for. Yeah, one of those things. Uh, it it right? looks like it. And this was we we talked about it. I I feel kind of a little bit like a broken record, but I I was telling you through November, I was interested to see what this looked like because one of the things that Brent Venables and Dabo did is it felt like they always got guys to come back one extra year, at least a couple, a handful of key guys to come back one extra year at Clemson. First time that's really been a, a thing at Oklahoma, and you've got literally guys at every single level: Woody, Billy, uh, the entire the the four defensive line we just talked about, and, and that's only going to serve to help as you have another year of guys in the system. It's going to help teach the young freshmen coming in that much faster, as you're going to have a whole defensive line, whether it's Ethan Downs and Trace Ford that have been there, done that, got the T-shirt to help those guys come in. Terry and Lacey can show everyone the ropes as well as all those younger guys. Like It's only a massive positive for Oklahoma as they'll have more and more depth options in year one in the SEC. Think about those four names I gave you a few minutes ago, uh, the defensive linemen that are coming in in this class, um, you know, S- Nigel Smith and David Stone and all those guys. Think about how they're going to come in and they're going to be able to learn from somebody like Trace Ford, who's been around forever, Jacob Lacey, who's been around forever, DeJon Terry, who's been around forever. Some of those guys have been at, at two schools. Some of them have been at three schools. Uh, just to, just the amount of knowledge and the amount of uh, experience that they're going to be able to pass along to those true freshmen, which a true freshmen on arguably one of, the one of if not the best defensive line class in the country. So, yeah, just look for bright days ahead for the Oklahoma defense, especially the defensive line. Uh, we don't talk a lot of NFL on the podcast, Ryan, but I think we should because the playoffs are starting. Item one, C.D. Lamb is the best wide receiver in the NFL this year. Is he the best player in the NFL this year? No. he's. I, I don't think oh. he's the best wide receiver in the NFL this year. I think Tyree Kill is the best oh. wide receiver in the NFL this year. Come on. I'd take C.D. this year. This year, C.D. had a better year. Uh, well, he has less yards, less touchdowns, and he has a better quarterback. So I, I'm going to say, wait, look who his quarterback is. I, well, I, t- I take Dak over Tua, but I, t- the fact that uh, – I, I'm totally out on full disclosure. I think Tua is just a system guy, but that's neither here nor there. The fact that I, I think it's very, very clearly Tyree Kill, CeeDee Lamb, 1A, 1B, nobody else uh, in that conversation is, regardless if you want to split hairs, whatever. I mean, sensational for him, and uh, now it's just a bummer that's going to have to end at the hands of Jordan Love and the Packers because Dallas can't win playoff games. I'm going to call something up here real quick. So uh, please talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. Well, while, while you do that, I mean, you had that with CD, you had Baker and uh, you've got Jalen hurts who are going to end up uh, playing each other in a playoff game. And Baker has like cemented himself as the guy in Tampa as those uh, contract negotiations are going to start, or it sounds uh-huh. like that they've already started the mutual interest to extend Trent Williams is going to probably win himself a Super Bowl, maybe. Uh, either that, Trent Williams, or like the merry band of random Oklahoma guys that Baltimore always likes to suck in, like those two. Uh, yeah. Either Mark Andrews or Trent Williams is going home with a ring. I'm telling you right now. That, that, that's how that's going to end up. Probably so. Um, yeah, so on CD, he made first-team All-Pro this year, along with Tyreek Hill. 
Trent Williams made first team all pro and Lane Johnson made first team all pro CD or uh, not CD Creed Humphrey did not. Uh, Jason Kelsey did. Jason Kelsey was like the highest graded center in the NFL this year. Although CD, uh, I keep calling him CD Creed's uh, fumble recovery last week of a ball that wasn't actually fumbled when he, he was running full speed and just bent over and picked it up and tucked it away and stiff armed a dude. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. I want to see him on a play where he gets the football under his arm. We're not even talking about maybe the biggest upset win of the entire NFL season. Uh, Blake Bell, his family's just in with Taylor Swift and that crew. Like like that, I, I mean, what, what you, you want production on the field? Blake Bell's got it. You want rings? Blake Bell's got it. His wife is rolling with Taylor Swift. I, what, what else can you do? That's pretty great. That's pretty great. Good for Blake Bell. He's living the life. I know. Uh, what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. Beat the hell out of Notre Dame. Living the life. Yeah. I mean, um, what more do you need? You mentioned Baker. Baker leads. He got that million-dollar bonus. He led Tampa to the NFC South title. Uh, it's kind of weird. not knocking anybody here, but I'm just saying the NFC South this year is like winning an ugly pig contest. <laughs> <laughs> but kudos to Baker. Uh, he's healthy two times in his NFL career and he leads his team to the playoff both times. The dude, the dude's a straight baller and I love watching him play. My wife has begun watching red zone NFL red zone with me, because she hates red zone. But if that's the only way they'll, she gets to see Baker play on Sundays, then that's what she'll do. So, uh, and then he, him versus Jalen in the playoffs this week, um, Monday night, interesting Monday night. And it's, uh, in Tampa. So you got your defending NFC champ going on the road to their first playoff game to Tampa Bay. Uh, good luck to both men. Um, Baker probably going to be comeback player of the year, too. I mean, who else has a better shot be. than uh, than him? I mean, frankly. Yeah, he could. He could win that thing. And like I said, he gets his team to the playoffs and gets a million bucks. You got to love that. Uh, last football item for you, and then we'll move on to other sports. Congrats to Dewey Selman. Yeah, huge. He joins his little brother, Leroy, in the College Football Hall of Fame. His son, Zach, who's the athletic director at Mississippi State, sends him a congratulations on Twitter. He's the 24th Sooner to go into the College Football Hall of Fame, and this one's overdue. They they overlooked him a generation ago when he was up for it, and for some reason he didn't get in, but this time he did. Well, and, and you heard, uh, I don't know, is this the cardinal sin? I hope my bosses elsewhere are not listening. Dewey had a great interview with Toby Rowland on KREF talking about the moment he find out, found out, stuff like that. I'd encourage you to go seek yeah. that out. It, it was really, really cool for a guy. Listen, I have a very simple bar, John. If you are enshrined forever in a statue at the University of Oklahoma for playing football, you will be in every football college football hall of fame that should exist. It's as simple as that. Uh, they just yeah. don't give out those statues to anybody in Norman America. Right. It's the same thing as if you're on a if you're a football player and you get a statue at Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, you should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. I, I feel like that's like a a layup. And maybe maybe your breaking news story, the Dave OU Nebraska two years ago, uh, saying that there was going to be a Selman statue, the dedication of that. I think that you actually who've uh, you and Joe Siglione, hand in hand, fist arm in arm, were the final push to get Dewey across the line, a long overdue, well, well, well earned enshrinement for once, Dewey. Once the selectors found out that he had a statue in Norman, that's when it was, you're right. It was like, oh my gosh, if he's going up in Norman, we got to get him in the Hall. How's he not in the Hall of Fame? I thought it's. A, I think part of it is we've already got a Selman in the Hall of Fame. Don't we already have a Selman? Yeah, Selmans are in the Hall of Fame. That's right. So let's move on to the next guy. No, it's uh, they overlooked him for an entire, really a. Gener two generations. He should have been in in the 90s. You know who should be next? Who's that? Mrs. Selman gets a spot in the College Football Hall of Fame. Hell yeah. I think that, I think that she deserves a spot as well. Um, do you remember the uh, the Ismail brothers, Rocket Ismail and Rockhib Ismail? Rockhib? Yeah. Uh, smart Alex sports writer guys, I think, at some point in their college football careers, nickname, nicknamed their mom the Launchpad <laughs> or Rocket. And what was Rocky? Rocket Ismail and I can't remember the missile. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, I, I blew the joke, but that's pretty good. The launch pad. Tough to beat. Tough to beat that. My mom was, my mom was not the launch pad. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, <laughs> you failed her. Is, is that, that's, that's how that works. <laughs> that's not on your mom. That's on you. 
My mom, arguably more athletic than me and didn't even play sports. Same. Arguably. Although my mom played, but she was way better at everything. So per usual. <laughs> no, uh, we were at a, a function the other day. And we were talking about my daughter being at the Union High School Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, three-year starter at TU. And the pr- people we were talking to were just like, what? What? And I go, do you not remember how athletic her mother is, was back in the day? Not me, her mother. So, yeah. She got the good genes. Anyway, let's move on to uh, basketball. Sorry, um, it being it. You mentioned it earlier <laughs> off the top. Uh, we're we're on pins and needles, checking every notification just to see if like Zach Alley happened. Pete Carroll just got canned as the head coach in Seattle. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is not an NFL podcast, but I, just it, he he can stay around for a role uh, in the organization, <laughs> but he's not going to coach. What is happening? Uh, okay. Anyway. Did, did we bring that one about too with Brendan Carroll being in San Antonio and me asking him a bunch of questions about his dad? I guess. And then uh, <laughs> and then uh, Johnny Nissen's going to Texas. So Arizona staff in shambles. One one emotional damage from the dad. The other one is like, hey, they're looking for a DC. So sorry about that, Brennan and Pete. My bad. What on earth? That's the case. Sorry, I, sorry I to uh, <laughs> sorry to disrupt the pot. I was just like, oh my God. Because Earlier in the second segment, Kawhi Leonard extended, which meant I got like five tweet notifications. And I was like, oh, God, what happened? And I was like, oh, no, this is a national story. Then it happened yeah. again. I was like, oh, did it happen this time? No, it was Pete Carroll. <laughs> you subscribed to too many notifications. That's what that problem is. Yeah, yeah. I, I would that's, prefer. That's life of a radio guy. Yeah, it's like you, I'm sure that when you uh, hung up the the head the headphones, you were like, okay, I don't need shams. I don't need woes. I don't need <laughs> Let's talk some hoops. Let's talk OU hoops. Uh, they opened their final Big 12 season, final season of Big 12 play maybe, uh, with a 71-63 home win uh, last week. Um, no, yeah, no, last week uh, over Iowa State. Uh, it was a big game for JV and McCollum. What a good win for Oklahoma, a good way to win that game. And for McCollum, holy hell, what a player. Yeah, it, it was like a. Uh, it's one game, right? One game does not make a huge Big 12 run, but – it's hard not to see the parallels of what we've watched for two years, Hoove, which is a team that can hang tight for 36 minutes, and then whether it's not able to get a defensive stop to get across the finish line, whether it's giving up a huge offensive rebound that that ends up being a backbreaker, all that stuff, you got exactly that situation set up, right? Going into the media timeout at the under four, it's a just a knockdown, drag-out fight. It had never been really more than a six-point advantage either way, and, and Iowa State finally got their first lead of the game with about 10 minutes left, and you're sitting here thinking, Oklahoma did all this, and it's going to be the same old, same old. Well, guess what? No, not the case. Javian McCollum, 6 of 13. So it, it wasn't uh, a huge, huge, huge shooting performance, but it was the three straight assists, finding Sam Godwin twice. You had Aki Rivaldo Suarez. He had nine rebounds, then he had a huge, huge, huge kickout to Milos Uzan. And uh, Sam Godwin and John Hughley were able to do everything they needed to do in the final four minutes to keep Iowa State off the boards. And suddenly, Oklahoma, who played a majority of the first half without their leading scorer, Otega Owe, who picked up two just terrible foul calls back-to-back within about 10 seconds of each other uh, with 12 and a half minutes left. Like, like who at any point last year, if Oklahoma was without its leading score, like if Grant Sherfield was in foul trouble and missed the entire first mm-hmm. half, Oklahoma's getting curb stomped. Home, away, doesn't matter who they were playing. Oklahoma hangs tough, and then Owe gets the line a couple of times, and, and it was everything Porter Moser wanted out of the improvements he made this offseason. The only issue is it's the Big 12, so you can't be riding high on that. Tonight, Wednesday, they'll be in Fort Worth against a team that – Porter Moser likens they're constructed pretty, pretty similarly to Iowa State. And then all Iowa State did is go and snap Houston's undefeated run to start the year yesterday at Hilton. So uh, if there were any questions about oh, how good is that Iowa State win, they just beat Houston, who, who's just an absolute animal, obviously with Kelvin and, and crew. And uh, now the Sooners get to it. Man, if they can go in there and steal this one in Fort Worth, I think that they're going to play so loose and free at the weekend heading to Kansas because like going to Lawrence – 2-0 and in Big 12 play, you expect to come out 2-1. and one. It's almost like your plan was house money and there is no pressure mm-hmm. on you to go and win that basketball game in a really weird way. Yeah, McCollum, going back to the Iowa State game, McCollum finished with 15. Uzan had 12. Latre Darthard had 11. Sam Godwin scored 10 with six rebounds. So uh, really spreading the ball out uh, offensively, moving the ball around. That's the impressive thing. Remind me a little bit, a little bit of the Thunder in that some of their shots – 
come so easily because they're so open, because guys are moving without the ball, because guys are passing the ball so willingly. Nobody's hogging the ball anymore. Nobody's um, you know, dribbling the air out of the ball until the shot clock is about to expire so I can get my shot. That doesn't happen anymore for Oklahoma. So uh, tonight, TCU, 8 o'clock, ESPN 2. Then Saturday, 1 p.m. tip in Lawrence. Ryan, the latest list I saw said ESPN Plus. Yeah, ESPN Plus game for that one, which is why you just need to follow along at allsoonews.com. I think that I'm going to – I've not approved this with who, so we're going to break news here. We're going to screw around. I think I'm going to do a live blog while I'm there. I think I might do the special basketball live blog if Oklahoma Oklahoma beats TCU. If Oklahoma beats TCU and everyone's shoes for it, no. I'll do it anyway. It's a top ten battle. That's locked in. Uh, Kansas, number three in the country. Oklahoma, number nine in the country. Next poll doesn't come out till Monday. So no matter what happens in Fort Worth, the Sooners will be a top 10 team in Lawrence. And uh, I'll be boots on the ground there covering that game, live blogging everything I can see from inside the fog while everyone watches uh, along at home on ESPN+. Plus. Put you on the spot here. I hope you did your homework. Uh, last time OU won in Fog Allen? Uh, five trillion years ago. <laughs> you didn't do your homework. It's the uh, 80s, I- yeah? 95 95 whatever it's it's older than me it, it's literally like a 30 i think it's 93 because it's uh it predates me by i think five years ish uh <laughs> or three years whatever it's all right did you see the uh big 12 media day uh the the little interaction between the coaches when porter got right up against bill bill self and said now they told me if uh if i get too close to bill self the, the somebody's gonna call a foul and self replies after laughing it up for a few seconds self replies only at home only at home. Indeed. It, shout out <laughs> shout out to a I wonder if have we that's self-awareness. Have we analyzed that Uday who got hit with that? He did that because he's like, I'm used to I can do anything and get every single call here at the fog, but now I'm wearing a TC uniform and suddenly not only is it a foul, but it's a flagrant. Do we think that's <laughs> what happened there? Very much so. Next week, uh it's West Virginia at home on Wednesday and at Cincinnati on Saturday. Let's finish up with some softball. Let's give the people what they want, Ryan. Football season's over. It's softball season in Oklahoma, right? Uh, here's my here's my question. We'll we'll try to keep this simple and quick. OU returns the big four. They've got Nicole May on the mound. They've got Kenzie Handsome behind the plate. They've got Tiara Jennings at second base, and of course Jada Coleman in center field. All those guys have known for the last three years. Their freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. National championships. They're on a 61-game winning streak right now. They haven't lost in something like 315 days. So they're they're going to try and close that circle. Uh, add to that, OU's got the number one ranked recruiting class, I think, in two of the last three years. And then, like the other year, they were number three, number two or number three. I can't remember. Depends on who. Everybody's got their own recruiting ranking, so it depends on who you follow. Point is, Ryan, there are plenty of building – plenty of pieces around those building blocks for 2024. So should we expect another national championship? Well, yeah. And that's not even, yeah, not even to mention that Alyssa Brito, uh, Alina Torres coming back, Riley Boone coming back, obviously. Right. Uh, Adding to Nicole May, you got Kelly Maxwell, a huge, huge, huge transfer addition. Uh, I, I, Oklahoma, it's probably as much in doubt as it's been because Jordy Ball is the best player in college softball. Sorry, just because she's not wearing an Oklahoma uniform doesn't make her not the best player now. She's the best player in college softball. What she did in the Women's College World Series, and I think you've seen that Nicole May is good enough to dominate Big 12 play, dominate regional play, dominate super regional play, and then she sometimes gets into a little trouble in Oklahoma City, right? Kelly Maxwell is the exact same way, and so both of those get to – uh, share that load. You got a righty and a lefty that can kind of go at it there. Uh, Patty Gasso and, and Jitten Rocha can approach that in different ways. I'm just curious, both Nicole May and Kelly Maxwell need to take another step forward as far as limiting walks, limiting free bases. And, and then Oklahoma is going to, again, have an awesome lineup top to bottom. And, and then it's going to be like, okay, um, you know, Peyton Monticelli, who came in from Wisconsin, the pitcher, what can she do to, to be an extra arm? Uh, Carly Keeney, who came in from Liberty, she was awesome at Liberty, but broke a finger in uh, fall ball. So we didn't get to see her. Uh, Patty Gasso is not going to get to see her pitch until I think this month is what tracks, if if I remember correctly, that January, February is kind of what tracks up there. Uh, Riley Ludlam coming in, kind of a Kinsey Hansen's understudy uh, at uh, catcher, 
Patty Gasso in the fall called her a really, really raw prospect, but she was great at times in the battle series. And then, and then you got four freshmen who Patty Gasso already has said, I've taken these freshmen out a couple of times to dinner since they arrived and been like, hey, we're going to the SEC, and you guys got to be the class that leads us to the SEC. Harry Jennings is not going to play a single inning of softball in the SEC. Jada Coleman's not going to play as an SEC player. So you're going to have Ella Parker, Cassie Pickering, Maya Bland, Nellie McEnroe, uh, Marina. That's going to be your four. And Ella Parker was hitting the ball all over the place in the fall. Um, So I I think that'll be really fascinating to see how that shapes up. So Oklahoma's got to obviously replace Grace Lyons at short. If I were a betting man, I would say you probably get Alyssa Brito, who's super athletic, playing short, and get Alina Torres slotting back in at third. Um, got to find, uh, you know, Sydney Sanders. Can she coming back to first base, take that momentum from the back half of the year and be that kind of player all year long for Oklahoma. And if so, then you're just looking at really one spot in the outfield. If Torres comes in to play third, then uh, who's going to be out there in right field probably. So, uh, the expectation, uh, Oklahoma is still the most talented roster in the country. They're going to, they should be the betting favorite. They should be the odds on favorite, all that to win another national championship. I just don't think it's a done deal because uh, once you get into the Women's College World Series, uh, I just need to see a season from Nicole May and Kelly Maxwell to see if they've taken another step forward because they're already elite pitchers, like an elite right, righty-lefty duo. They're just not a duo that at the end of last year could have come in and pitched all those scoreless innings against Stanford and Florida State like Jordy Ball did for Oklahoma. Yeah. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why Ryan is my softball writer, because he knows it all. I love it. Thanks, man. Good stuff. Uh, you did three segments. You okay? Everything all yeah, right? Yeah, I think I'm good. I, I might need to take a little nap, and uh, and then we'll regroup. It's it's the late tip tonight. This is the big secret. Yeah. This 8 p.m. tip for someone that needs to be up at 445 is really tough. So there, at some point, there will be a nap that is had between now and when Oklahoma and the Horn Frogs get that bad boy going in Fort Worth. He not only talked for an hour and 11 minutes on this podcast, he talked for four hours this morning on the franchise. So man's busy. Man stays busy. Keep that voice. Keep those vocal cords warm, man. Got to hit the tea and the honey. Is that what it is? That's what it is, especially in this cold weather. Don't let it strike you. Try. We're doing our best. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. As you know, we'll be back on the All Sooners podcast next week. You can find all of our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say Alexa Play, the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, we'll talk to Randall Sweet next week. I'm John Hoover. See you guys.